if somebody were to take a finger off your hand, you'd be very angry and you would say, hey, how dare you do that, right? This is a crime. If somebody took away your leg, you'd be super angry. You'd like go to the court and like, hey, this guy did this to me. Yet, most education systems are taking away your, your capability to think and somehow that's not a crime. And, and just like religion, people are inducted at the very youngest ages, right? Stick Your Neck Out, the weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. Classrooms did not exist 400 years ago. They will not exist 100 years from now. I'm quoting my guest today, Abhijit Sinha. Welcome to the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. Welcome to Stick Your Neck Out. After a small, inspiring break, we are back with our weekly podcast, and I'm very happy you are listening to us today, since we have some, we believe, very good news. After our last episode with Sabrije, one of the Cantari.org founders, we received a lot of encouraging feedback from our listeners. Thank you so much. Listening to the podcast, the Giraffe Heroes Foundation team and Cantari founders together decided that from now on, we should not only be talking to commended Giraffe Heroes, but we are also going to present you many of the Cantari alumni, people who are also sticking their necks out and changing their communities from within. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Durañona, and today I'm talking to a graduated Cantari, social change maker Abhijit Sinha. Abhijit is a young social innovator and the founder of Projectify. He has designed many social innovations in India and in several African countries, and we are going to be talking about all this today. But first, Abhijit, welcome to Stick Your Neck Out. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast uh, to speak to you and to the audience that is listening. Um, yeah, um, what can I say? It's, uh, it's a really good time to be having <laughs> some conversations, I feel, especially when we feel so isolated, no? <laughs> so, yeah, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> you graduated from Cantari, a 12-month leadership program for visionaries who have overcome adversity and who are keen to drive ethical social change. At the end, you graduate as a social change maker. Would you like to explain our listeners what is a social change maker? Well, I didn't know that word until uh, somebody started using it uh, to refer to me. I guess it's it's not a complicated term, really. It's anybody who tries to create uh, a change to solve a problem. So uh, not just solve a problem for themselves, but actually create a change in their community or in their society or even globally. That person could be called a social change maker. Honestly, what I struggle to understand is what other things should anybody be doing, you know, <laughs> that uh, shouldn't everybody be trying to solve one problem or another that, uh, you know, that in some way changes society. So I think, yeah, Kanthari uses this word um, quite frequently, the social change maker. And I feel that it's, an, it's a nice thing because it gives everybody a sort of clarity of purpose and identity, so to speak. But I also feel that the word sort of differentiates and make some other people think that, oh, this guy is a social change maker, he's different from me, but that doesn't have to be, <laughs> right? Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, I hope that one day people look at themselves as social change makers in their own right. Yeah, yeah I hope that too. I mean, Projectify is a non-profit which has worked with over 15 communities in India and Southeast Africa to help create their own self-learning spaces. What does Defy mean? Well, defy, of course, is a word in itself. Uh, it means to challenge the status quo, right? And however, it, it expands very nicely to design education for yourself. So in a way, the word defy is sort of how we want to do things and the solution is in, in the expansion of the word. So it is quite special to us. And sometimes people say that defy is a, a negative word, but we are actually quite proud that it is a little bit negative a little bit maybe uh, as Sabria would say spicy mm. <laughs> you know it makes people think that why is there a need to defy a system or something that exists so yeah that's our name um, ultimately we want we think that this is not a forever thing it, it, it should at some point the the mission should be done it should be achieved and that's why we we call it a project uh, a big long one <laughs> but, but a project <laughs> What are you exactly doing back there? We do exactly 
uh, what I was trying to say in terms of social change makers, right? We, the word social change maker was invented to talk about people who are somehow different and they actually care about their society. They want to do something. Uh, this, uh, you know, is very strange to us. We feel that why do, why does everybody not care about their society? Why does everybody not uh, think about how they can make some changes in it or, or feel even capable of doing that? And we found out that the ultimate reason for all of this is the way the education system works. It is a disempowering system that makes people believe that they are a small, tiny piece in a large machine and that they have no control over. And their voice doesn't matter. Their opinions and choices don't matter. You know, they just have to keep doing their job because they're insignificant. And that mindset I first saw in my life and then in some parts in India and then I start traveling and I see everywhere, even countries that may call themselves developed, tend to still continue with that industrial or factory mindset. You know, somebody is big, the rest of the people, the masses are small. So that's what we try to change really, you know, when through DeFi we create these uh, learning spaces. There are physical spaces where people can come uh, from children to adults to older people. There's computers, internet tools, trash. There's a lot of, you know, chaos and, and a great environment. But basically what people are trying to do there are trying to create an education for themselves, trying to figure out what do they need as individuals, what does their community need and what does their society need. And how can they fill that gap while, you know, how can their learning actually fill that gap, you know? So they actually start with purpose first and learning as a way to achieve that purpose, as opposed to usual schooling system, where, which tells you that, okay, go ahead and learn for like 20 years. And now somehow you must decide your purpose, uh, you know, <laughs> which is, which is very strange to me. So, uh, so that's what we try to do. We work with uh, rural communities, refugee camps in slums, basically places where the, you know, uh, which are marginalized, where very limited options exist. And nobody even expects to do learning as good as in international uh, school environments or for the rich people. Nobody expects that to happen there. So we work with them because we feel that they deserve it first, because they are the ones who have been put at the bottom of the ladder. And two, they actually have a bit of an advantage because they're less distracted by all the nonsense, you know. So they're less programmed <laughs> to believe things in a certain way. So when I go to a village, uh, it's okay if a kid skips school for a few days. But in the city, it's, uh, you know, somebody's going to visit you and make a huge deal out of it. So that's the difference. And I think because they have that advantage, they are actually, you know, more... Uh, capable of taking control of their learning and tra taking control of their education uh, and ultimately um, uh, bringing forth a, a new mindset towards learning. So, yeah. Okay, so we're talking here about schools without teachers. No? I mean, basically you set up a place where the people sit and, and do something or, I mean, there's nobody controlling that. It's like yeah. <laughs> kind of difficult to understand. Yeah, I imagine when we were talking about this in the early parts, it, it was... Very hard for people to get it. Uh, yes, there is no teacher there. There is no facilitator. Uh, let's say there's no. There's not even a curriculum. There are no exams. There's no textbooks. So how would learning happen, right? We think of sources of learning. So uh, in a school, what happens that you have this one person or a couple of people who are designated as your teachers. And they are supposed to know everything. They are supposed to be your whole and soul. All the learning has to come from them. No matter if they are good teachers in the first place or not, right? Just because they're supposed to have a quantity of information, they're supposed to be capable of being called a teacher. Now, I have nothing against teachers, but I feel that that's too much of a burden on, on a few people, right? And we are made to believe that we have to go to a school and buy our education from these specific people which means that we don't look at our parents as teachers we don't look at our siblings as teachers we don't look at our, our friends as teachers we don't we don't look at day-to-day uh, -day interactions in the market as learning so we start believing that the only time education or learning happens is when you go to a school sit in front of a teacher and uh, the teacher talks uh, shares a lesson and then you give an exam oh yes now I'm educated now now I have learned something in a nook that's not the case in a nook uh, you decide, first of all, 
what you want to do you ask um, you you go deep into your thoughts and you figure out okay forget about long term let me just think what i want to do right now whether you are a 10 year old or a 70 year old the question is the same right? and once you, you you think about you choose something then you think about okay where can i learn this from right maybe there's somebody who already knows this and i could i could ask them to share that with me but maybe i could find a course online maybe i could get a book maybe i could do trial and error and and figure it out myself and tinker with it so the teacher essentially is my choice not mm-hmm. the choice of the system yeah. i decide who to learn from and how to learn and the moment you know i feel that that's not working i can change it right when i used to go to college that i used to actually feel like i wish uh, i could just swipe out my teacher sometimes because they, they were really really some of them were really bad and i was frustrated with them and like, but i can't do anything i now my learning of that subject is entirely going to be dependent on how much he or she knows or how he or she delivers so that's a bit unfair <laughs> you know that's that's not right and so yeah you could say that nooks have no teachers or you could say that nooks have hundreds of teachers and and the difference really is not whether teachers are there or not the difference really is who is looking for the learning right okay so a nook is like a kind of a classroom so everyone can go there i mean everyone who needs it and who wants it regardless of, of how old they are or whatsoever they just go there and have a space to do whatever they want to learn kind of That yeah, this is the idea of self education but how does this idea exactly work i mean what's your goal with it so it's harder to think what you want to learn it's easier to think what you want to do right so uh, when people come to the nook uh, we have something which is called the cycle system right so the nook at any point is in a cycle of 3 months and if you're a learner at the nook you decide you create a goal for that cycle right so there's a process everybody helps you how you know you uh, create a smart goal which is specific measurable and so on so on and you decide okay what what am i trying to achieve by the end of these three months once you do that you again try to decide okay how do i plan out this goal what are my milestones what are my learning sources what tools materials and resources i need and now in order to uh, if you're if you're very new at the nook most likely other nook learners who have been there for some time will help you or we have somebody who's called the nook fellow who's not a teacher who's not an expert in any subject but is trained to ask the right questions so that person will sit down with you and really just ask you questions like okay why do you want to do this where does this interest come from is it your passion or your parents <laughs> you know who's who's really asking this so that's how they decide what is it that they're going to do and how uh, and they plan it out now you you might finish that cycle and then in the next one think that okay what i did was good but i don't want to do it anymore so you can pick up something new and go in that direction or you can say fine i want to go actually deeper in what i did last time and actually turn this into something so the way people learn the core things are actually focusing on one thing at a time in one cycle working with a plan working with other people and really going and really understanding everything around it as opposed to learning you know a lot of different pieces of a lot of different things which they never use in life so here they're actually thinking of what they want to do and as they're learning they're using it now we don't look at the nook as the final learning point or anything it's not that i'm going to enter here at age of 10 and by 16 i'll end up a nuclear physicist and then i'll be out and uh, straight to nasa yeah, that's not the it. point really the point is to make only one small shift the shift is in choice right who decides what you will do that's the only thing we want to change right now people who go to regular schools they they never have that choice they are going through 15 years 16 years you know at the very best they get to choose between a little bit more art or a little bit more physical training right so <laughs> so those are the choices right and it's funny because once they finish all that education now suddenly we say yeah go ahead choose what you want to do how how is that possible like this is like arranged marriage you know i've never dated in life but suddenly you you make me marry someone <laughs> we indians understand this very well so <laughs> yeah, yeah i know <laughs> so i find it uh, troublesome that they don't really get to make choices and they don't get to see the consequences of those choices especially when they're in that school environment where they could be protected 
in the nuk, that's exactly what happens, right? So they make choices. Sometimes they it works out. Sometimes it doesn't work out. But they get into the habit of making good choices, right? They get into the habit of understanding how learning works. Even if they leave the nuk after a couple of months or a couple of years, the thinking always remains that, yeah, if I want to learn something, if I want to do something, I don't have to wait for a degree. I don't have to wait for getting admitted to a, a, a university or for a special program. I can start right now. I can start collecting the people I want to learn from, the, the resources I need. I can do all of that and I can get very far by myself. And when I start, people will join me and help me out. Um, you know, as opposed to participating. Yeah, yeah, but you still have this other side of the society, which is expecting from you to have been graduated from a really good school, like with really good scores and whatsoever. How do you plan to cope with it in your project? I mean, well, yeah, that's true uh, that people want even companies or jobs, your parents, your girlfriend even, or, or uh, uh, her parents might want to, uh, you to have a good certificate. Now, however, the, the evidence of that working out is actually reducing with time. Like, you know, uh, the funniest thing I feel nowadays is, I mean, I, I can see even at a global level that the biggest <laughs> the, or the worst of crimes are being done by people who are extremely well-educated and from, uh, you know, very, very good colleges, right? Forget, okay, let's not even, okay, that might be very extreme, but what are educated people doing? Right? What are they doing? They vote Trump in, right? So we, we make bad <laughs> decisions all the time, right? And yeah. somehow, and, and I think everybody feel, you know, sort of feels it at a subconscious level that somehow there is no clear connection between the current education that we are receiving and right making good choices for the rest of humanity, right? We no, we, right. We, right. we struggle to be compassionate. We struggle to, to spare an extra dollar for helping out someone. We struggle to listen to somebody's uh, problems and, and pain. We struggle doing, uh, including me, because I'm the same, the product of the same <laughs> system, yeah. right? So something must be terribly, terribly wrong where th there is really no correlation between uh, the making of right choices and going through really good education systems or, or, or going through really high-fi colleges, mm. right? And the more people are recognizing that, and of course, the, in the last one or two decades, people have started realizing that, okay, for companies, that didn't matter, right? Ethical choices and all didn't matter for, for most. But what mattered for them was, do are people skilled? Because that was the minimum promise of the education systems. And we see that even that is not happening. So, I mean... That's the, the least that, that was expected from, uh, from education systems. And even that, so what the hell is happening, right? That's actually my question to you right now. What is, what is the ideal learning environment from your point of view? Ideal learning environment is one that is not fixed in, in one method or one way. One that is able to change and morph, that the learner himself or herself can pick it and modify it and challenge it and change it, right? It should not be such a big, you know, Lego block structure that the, the one inside is absolutely unable to make any changes to it, right? The system should change based on the learners, as opposed to that we have systems that try to change the learners, right? Uh, which is a little bit going in the backward direction, I feel. And there's a good reason for that. I mean, we uh, at this point, I think most people know where our education system comes from, the uh, uh, Industrial Revolution and, and then before that, the army structures in Persia. So the idea was always a systemic control over people. And that's why education was created in the first place, so that everybody can follow an agenda. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, so uh, they, they yeah. teach you to follow, not to ask questions. Precisely, right? Precisely. Yeah. That pro it, it was always a, a machine of propaganda. Then people started saying, "No, no, this is a beautiful thing. It's a great thing. It's 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 really amazing." And so it became somehow a force of good. And because now it is considered a force of good, the, the mainstream education, people are scared to challenge it. Nobody even believes that it can be challenged, that it, that it could potentially be changed, that you could say that that is wrong, right? Uh, it's like you're, you're uh, a monster for saying that, you know, in a, in a, uh, you know, people. So you are against teachers? No, I'm not against teachers. I think the education system is as bad to the teachers too. Right? <laughs> they treat them horribly. I mean, if it was any way beneficial for, for them, it, we would not see teachers being paid the lowest salaries and not having any decision-making power uh, in the system. So, yeah, I, I think uh, speaking overall, it might sound very uh, extreme again, um, but uh, in my opinion, the way education has 
continued to be over the last 200-250 years, it almost feels like a crime. See, when if somebody were to take a finger off your hand, you'd be very angry and you would say, hey, how dare you do that, right? This is a crime. If somebody took away your leg, you'd be super angry. You'd like go to the court and be like, hey, th- this guy did this to me. Yet, most education systems are taking away your, your capability to think and somehow that's not a crime, right? Some, somehow that is okay. And, and, and just like religion, people are inducted at the very youngest ages, right? So you have no way to get out. <laughs> you have to believe. You have to. It's have just to the really new Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Projectify creates schools without teachers as an alternative to the Indian educational system. Is it that bad, the Indian educational system? It's, see, countries that were colonized in the industrial era uh, certainly have it worse because we had our own educational systems or models and they, any country, any place keeps modifying its systems, right, with time. So we had some of ours. They were not perfect, but they would have changed with time if we were in control. However, what happened was at one point, the British, when they, they came to India and they had complete control, they started saying that whatever you have is absolute rubbish. What must be there uh, should be the British education system. And they did it very cleverly because they were very few and they cannot manage. You know, you can only uh, control the country by force for a couple of years. You can't do it for a century. So the only way to do that was to create another class of people that actually want to be like them, right? And and they did precisely that. They, they created this educational model. They just brought it down, right? And placed it over our heads and said, hey, uh, this is how you will be educated from now on. If you don't go through it, you're not educated. You are rural. You are, you know, uneducated. And they did that and actually created, you know, now in India... To call somebody, uh, uh, you know, a villager is is a is a bad word almost, right? So it where does it come from? It comes from that two hundred year old, uh, you know, history, uh, where just because somebody doesn't go through your school system, he's an idiot, absolutely useless to society, which is absolutely, of course, not true. Uh, they did that, and I thought this was India, of course, but it's not just India. Um, uh, Of course, it's as bad in any country that was colonized because same process, same thing happened. It's worse for countries that were colonized uh, for even longer periods. So if it was if they got their freedom only in like the 70s and so on. So then it was even worse. However, if you really, really went to the roots of the education systems, you'd find that even the American and European systems are still based on the same fabric. It's that's not changed. So. Okay, on the surface, things look better. There's more money invested and therefore there are more activities and there are more discussions and, and maybe some horse riding. But <laughs> Golf playing. <laughs> or golf. Cricket. Right? Uh, so there are these things. But the, the very fabric of it still continues to be that the industry decides what small children need to learn. Not the other way around. Not that the, the, the people who are learning and coming up with new thought they modify the industry. It's not like that. It's it's still the industry deciding everything that the school, the colleges uh, should be learning. And, and they're making it their aspiration. Like they actually feed into our minds that the best thing that could happen to our life is to get into a cubicle in their office. Right. Which is certainly not true. But of course, it's very beneficial for them. So if you were to take my opinion on it, I feel that there's a problem everywhere. You just have to look deep enough and you'll see the underlying clothing, which is just as dirty as all of ours, you know, <laughs> need some yeah. work. And yeah, but luckily we have, we have DeFi. What's the impact of DeFi? How is the resonance? Could you tell us a few experiences from participants you had and where they ended up after visiting DeFi? So DeFi has been there for about, uh, the, our oldest space is now around five and a half, six years. The rest are three, two, one. Let's talk first short term, right? So when participants actually come to the NOOC, we ask them sometimes that, why do you come to the NOOC? What do you think is the NOOC for you? And so on. And um, they, uh, some interesting answers that we uh, got. Uh, this one I always remember. It was We were in Punjab and we have a NOOC there. A lot of kids come to that NOOC and, and they also go to, that, to the school, which is the only school in that village, right? So they go to the school, they come here. And this kid, he self, you know, he recorded a video. We had asked like, okay, go ahead and record videos. And they, he recorded a video and he said, you know, something very strange is happening. 
when I go to school, these friends of mine, uh, they fight with me. And uh, when we are writing exams, they cover and they don't want to show me what they're writing. And, you know, they're very mean. And they come here and they're helping me in, my, in, in what I'm doing, in my project, in, in my thing. Uh, and he's totally confused like why what is happening uh, why is this happening right and of course we've seen several things uh, when when you have a conflicting system right people go through a lot of struggle we had uh, learners who came to the nuke they developed a, a way of thinking of, of questioning right and if you know anything about indian schools questioning is the hardest thing to do in in these <laughs> classrooms it's it's extremely difficult you get whacked right you still do and you, you still do asking questions is a total taboo and this guy, he goes to back to the classroom and um, he's, he's like, uh, but why are you teaching us this? He, he straight out asks oh. his teacher and uh, the teacher is like, I have no answer, of course. And mo- worse than that, the teacher can't admit that he know, doesn't know the answer. Right? Uh, the, the can't, and that's, that's even worse. So uh, what happens? He gets whacked and, and, and comes back. Like, what was my fault? Like, it's really no fault of yours, but this is going to happen when, you know, uh, you, you're actually rebelling against a very big system, a very huge thing. It doesn't want to change. It has inertia. It, it's become, uh, you know, fat and heavy. It really doesn't want to change. Yeah. And when you will poke a needle into it it's going to feel very uncomfortable and try to try to discourage you don't get discouraged you know uh, maybe not the right place to express uh, or, or to tell as long as you are in school you know if you're choosing to continue to be in school well, don't expect to change them uh, right now but at least make sure that you know you're learning you're able to manage that the way you want for at least the rest of the hours that you have that's the least you know, path of least resistance for, for, for him. So this is what happens, you know, several, several instances of this happening, clashes with parents and teachers. And, you know, uh, we even had in Rwanda, the local administrators walk in because the kids were at the nook at 7 p.m. and they should be at home for doing homework. Yeah, um, okay. Which yeah. I'm, uh, I'm like, well, uh, seriously. <laughs> 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 so here they are making like 3D models of a house but no they have to go back home and uh, write 4 plus 5 equals to 9 about 200 times so these things happen and that, that tells us that yeah that's good because this conflict is important uh, if there's no conflict that, uh, there's really no change here in the long term what we see happening uh, we try to keep uh, notice of the long term with the, the slightly older ones like the youth and so we try to see what's happening with them. It's hard to do that because they go away and do their things. But we try to see, okay, how are they making choices, right? So are they still going back to, you know, following a system or are they picking and choosing what they want to do? So if they, if they went for higher education or a college, whose choice was that? As long as he or she is making the decision, even the mainstream system is an option and that's great. You can choose. And if you're choosing, then you can leave also, right? So that's that's perfectly fine. One of the good examples of this was actually with Kanthari. Kanthari was doing the, the Kanthari talks in Bangalore, um, I think two years back. We went to, uh, to see, of course, uh, all the talks and we are sitting in the stadium and I come out in the break and uh, one of our learners from the village, which was like, uh, you know, uh, 30, 40 kilometers out, he walks up to me. And he's like, hi, Abhijit. <laughs> wow, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, uh, I'm recording the whole event. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, well, awesome. that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Who, how did you, I mean, I had no idea how he got there. So he said, oh, yeah, no, no, the, there were these video guys who had come to the Nook. I really liked what they were doing. When they went away after a year, I contacted them, got an internship. And since then, I've been working with them. They awesome. pay me. And I, so, and that guy is like 20. So, I mean, there are several instances when we are able to see. Many times it's very hard to see because they are spread out and they're doing their own thing. But also, of course, there's there's going to be some times when uh, people have to go back to or under family pressure or they get married off and all that thing is that's part of the reality. Uh, and it's not that every time people are able to make decisions in their life right then. Uh, maybe in the future, maybe how they raise their children will be different. Maybe, you know, um, what what is OK and not OK for them will be different. So that's our hope that, you know, uh, we don't expect that everybody will, will this will be like a 100% result or anything like yeah, that. Of course, yeah. But we do expect that there'll be small changes in the way people think 
and that will infect that will that will show more people that uh, okay there is a slightly different way of thinking about about learning and I, honestly i i don't feel that the nuke is the perfect alternative or anything it's uh, it may not be but it is the perfect experiment mm. so uh, <laughs> see the the problem has become that everybody wants to have the perfect education system and therefore they're scared to to challenge it in the first place right however experimentation is what helps us create better systems all all the time right so don't get stuck on one system so our hope th- is that because of our experiment many more people will start experimenting many more people will tr- start trying out maybe they will come up with something even better right uh, and we will get back to the cycle of really really experimenting with the fabric of education which we haven't done honestly for the for europe it's been longer for uh, us it's been about 250 years but uh, we have we haven't really really played with that fabric because we are too scared we we always feel oh my god my children they will suffer if we if we play with their education but that's precisely what you should be doing i feel you should be messing around a little bit you should be uh, you know that will actually the, the good and the bad of that will helps people go through a very interesting experience yeah, totally. whereas putting them into a road that you know is straight line uh, there's no experience there honestly uh, there's uh, <laughs> So yeah, that's where. Right. So in your in your dream speech, the one you used to graduate at Canterbury, um, you said if your motivation is strong enough, you can break all barriers. How do you come to this conclusion? My first, uh, uh, I think, um, instance of uh, something like this was in the first village where I, I almost accidentally started working. Well, so I had quit my job. I had uh, worked in Bangalore. I, I stopped working um, after six months, and I moved to this village outside of Bangalore called Banjarapalya. There, I was, you know, sort of helping another NGO. But basically, I wanted to get out of the city and get out of my corporate life, get out of everything that I was normal for me, and just live in a calmer and and quieter place. So I was in this village and. The, the the challenge was of course that we could not really communicate because i'm not actually from karnataka i don't speak the local language um and they didn't speak any language that i spoke so we couldn't really communicate but we used to sit um at the at the local tea shop and we used to have this uh, every evening have some chai and uh, some tea and just be on my phone playing games uh, mostly temple run then the government school was right next door and the kids would come out around the same time like 3:30 they'd be hanging around the shop waiting some of them would waiting for the bus some of them just chilling and they would they started noticing us and uh, me with my phone but they would not say anything they they would just group up and and stand behind and look and look and look and look and this went on for a couple of weeks until one day one of the kids just puts his hand forward asking for the phone and i and i give him my phone and then immediately he's surrounded by all these other kids in a circle and you you can't see the phone anymore so i i wait for 10 minutes 15 minutes 20 minutes uh, phone has not come back so i get nervous and i i try to peek inside uh, what's happening i see that the phone is not with this kid anymore it's with like the fourth or fifth kid in the circle and and they're playing temple runs furiously as if you know they've been playing forever um uh, <laughs> in the next few days they broke all my high scores and i, I could not play anymore because it it, it it was just too difficult to beat them this was uh, to me quite surprising because one thing i had figured out the, the village was really small you could see almost everyone at that time no smartphones still i'd also found that computers in the there was no computers in the school i mean it's this is sort of uh, controversial because the kids told me that there were some uh, computers given or donated to them by some europeans uh, probably dutch people and uh, the headmaster then uh, after they left he sold them and and, uh, and the kids never got to use them so i knew that they they yeah, you know awesome. <laughs> the the experience with digital stuff was was very limited but still they managed to use it um, and play this game and then we, we tried the same experiment with laptops this time it took them 3 hours and they figured out the laptop and and got into the games actually on the internet without no no instructions given nothing right and i see this again and again and again and again in punjab the same place i told you we put laptops in on the third day and and trust me nobody knew how to use laptops at that point on day 3 all the laptops were in punjabi and we couldn't use it anymore right somehow they figured out how to change the <laughs> language of everything include like not only google but the whole system language 
and and we had to spend hours to 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 make it back into english so that at least we would understand so <laughs> so this keeps yeah. happening and when you see the kind of things people do when you see a 10 year old kid which in in school is supposed to remember the you know the the table of five is actually playing around with engineering that you know our college students are not able to uh, to do or when you see uh, amazing music uh, coming from uh, somebody who has never been trained in music and and is able to that's when you see that uh, you know people can break any barrier that they want to if, if they have a goal right of course children are, find it easier because less programming right they haven't spent as much time in the system the older ones they struggle uh, the older a person gets the more um, inhibitions the more restrictions we put on ourselves and we start believing that this is me i cannot change and uh, if i'm not creative i'm not creative if i don't know uh, computers i don't know computers if I... so that takes actually more work but children they don't wait for instructions they don't wait for uh, for you to tell them anyway what 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 needs to be done they just jump on it and then either they figure out or move on but there is you know they're not at your mercy and that's that's something amazing so i think that's what i what i meant <laughs> and hit you are obviously an innovative guy let's talk about your your top three innovations starting with the boda boda to our listeners boda bodas are bicycle and motorcycle taxis commonly found in east africa what's what's the the story behind it when i was in the last parts of my college i had moved to bangalore and i got introduced to this guy from mit who uh, opened a lab back in my college and it was like an open ended lab where people actually worked on on real things on real problems and that was amazing so i used to travel from bangalore back to college all the time just to be able to be there for like the weekends and and work on some real problems right um, well also this was the first time i could see that what i know and what i'm learning can actually be applied to change something i started seeing that in bangalore there were at that time a lot of hackathons happening uh, i participated in a few of those and um, uh, luckily um, uh, i won a couple in the beginning and then they invited me to come to uganda and uh, of course why would i say no you know first time to travel outside of country uh, that was amazing uh, we, we went there they took us around they took us to the district hospital the the, the theme was medical uh, challenges so, so uh, anything to do with health the, the district hospital was the only hospital in a 50 mile radius at that time and it was in a bad situation i mean they uh, we we were asked we, we were told we can ask questions but you know people were super busy there were people who have been operated just now they they were right outside they, you know they were put on the grass uh, so because there was no space inside uh, no 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 way to so it was a horrible thing and i i waited and i asked questions i didn't know what i want to do for the hackathon i'm just uh, you know blank mindedly looking around ultimately it sort of started feeling like the problem was not really what everybody else is seeing the problem everybody was looking at oh yeah the medicine is not there there's no experienced doctors maybe there's not enough there's not enough electricity available there's not enough cooling available blah 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 these guys everybody else was, was like very technologically sound so i always felt like okay i'm i'm not that great so i thought okay but maybe what if the the problem is not medical in nature actually uh, what if the problem really is of transport right so and uh, it was so i asked where the ambulance is and I found the ambulance in the backyard with like 2 feet of mud because nobody could afford running those ambulances so like so how do people come and i got my answer right in front of me a woman pregnant woman in labor uh, came at the ba- back of the boda boda the bike taxi got down in front of the hospital bleeding and walks all the way inside so i'm like well so th- is that how everybody comes in They're like yeah because the, what i mean the terrain is bad you can't have cars traveling easily there's a lot of trouble boda boda is the only cheap option that people can use to travel so the next day after thinking a lot uh, said okay what if you could make the bora bora into something that can actually safely travel uh, or transport people to the hospital i pitched it i had a canadian guy and a ugandan guy join me and in in 24 hours we actually created a working prototype of that cart we went to the junkyard behind the hospital picked up a bed a bunch of bicycles 
took it to the nearest workshop, got it welded and everything. While everybody else is working on software and electronics, we were like uh, hardcore. <laughs> right. um, and, and we got it made and we called the Boda Boda. It was really like, you know, it was not shaped properly. It was like lopsided. But we said, let's try it. <laughs> and we put the clamp on the Boda Boda and uh, he actually took it down the hill and it didn't break. Like, well, maybe this can work. So we, we got it back to the space where the hackathon was happening and we got the Boda Boda somehow. It was, I think, one or two floors up, uh, Boda Cart, the, the, the cart bit. And, and we said, listen, you know, the, the, the problem here is that uh, people don't get to hospitals in time. Women are getting to hospitals, you know, after hours of being or even sometimes more than a day of being in labor uh, because there's no good way of getting to the hospital and they have to my, uh, travel sometimes 50, 60, even 100 miles to get to a, a hospital that can handle childbirth or complicated cases. So here is the Boda cart. It, it was a cart, simple cart that can attach to any of the motorcycles and turn it into an ambulance. And when you don't want to use it as an ambulance, you can use it as a simple transport for carrying bananas or whatever you need to carry. Uh, or you can unlock it and leave it uh, near the hospital or in your village and, and no problem. And so, you know, the, the Boda Boda driver could charge 20% extra. It's still not much more money. And so he makes a, a good income too. And people can get to the hospital at a cheap cost. So that was the idea. Uh, we worked on it for a year. Then I tried to bring it to Zimbabwe, where we wanted to actually show uh, uh, inmates in prison uh, how to build it. And they could build it okay. and rent it out to ex-cons who are in the, uh, mm -hmm. outside. And uh, the ex-cons could actually run the uh, border carts and take people to hospitals. So the complete uh, there would be a shift about how people think about ex-prisoners. And they could actually have a, a good role in society and, and not have to go back to crime. So... There were some good aspirations with this project, but the, the challenge was always finding people to work with or, or to actually make this. I was in India and I had also uh, started working on Defy. And so I couldn't be at the same time in Uganda. So uh, the, and there was nobody else to take lead. So probably what happened after maybe two years of improving it, it didn't go so far. Even the president had come to see the project and so on. But but the, nobody wa was investing because nobody was there really. I was not there or nobody from the team was actually there. But the good thing that happened is other people took that idea and uh, they created their own versions of it. Now you see uh, several versions of that in India, in Africa as well. Not exactly the same thing. We had better engineering still, I would feel. But uh, but still, the, the, the basic idea, others uh, used it. So... I'm actually happy that yeah, you know, if others great. copied I mean, it, that's it's also great. a win. Yeah, that's a because that's it, it a felt win. very bad that I was not able to take it really forward. Yeah, that was the story of Boda Kart, which if I was unsuccessful at Defy, would have been my primary thing. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Why well, everywhere I found something written about this Boda Kart, it said a 500 bucks ambulance for Africa. Because it was, you could make it in $500, less than that. We made our first one for about $80 <laughs> and uh, okay. even the, the last one we made was uh, probably like $400. So it was, well, the, the technique to it was to not build a company around it, but actually teach the local welders and the local workshop owners so they can manufacture it themselves and uh, it does not have to have like many people in the yeah. middle. Yeah, that's great. Right? Market to market yeah, yeah, as opposed yeah. to company to market. Yeah. You also were involved in the creation of some sort of waterless urinal? Yes, that was a that was another short, incomplete project that we designed in Bangalore uh, with a bunch of people in another event. That was also pretty crazy. Uh, you know, it was a $25 uh, urinal which really needed only natural things, you know, iron ores, uh, some specific plants, a bamboo cage. And uh, the more you would urinate, the, the more it helped. Uh, with the with the plants that were growing and the choice of ores was such that it, it would never smell because there were some um, minerals that would prevent the uh, ammonia from breaking out. So uh, that was uh, something that we uh, conceptualized and uh, prototyped once. But then um, again, people, they, it was a team of I think five or six people and very quickly I found that it was a team of one. And uh, <laughs> the, that happened too many times.
Last but not least of this top three, the third invention is an accident app that uses the vibration the phone receives when the car is in an accident, right? Can you please go a bit more yeah. into detail on how this works exactly? So, um, well, this one got me an iPhone. <laughs> I, I, uh, um, this was a very interesting one. So what we did was something extremely simple. Um, uh, I think the, this was again back in 2013. Yahoo, the company, they, they used to do hackathons every year in Bangalore and Hyderabad. Some, in Hyderabad, I think, most times. So I was in Hyderabad. It's a really cool hackathon. Like you stay up all night. They have like amazing coffee and, and great food. Um, and you try to come up with a problem and a solution within like 24 hours. So I, along with some other people, we decided that, uh, see, the, the phone, uh, the smartphone already has quite a lot of sensors, including um, a, a gyro sensor uh, and an accelerometer, which can tell you about how you are moving or how basically the phone is moving. Using that, we, we created an app that would read the those sensors and try to understand how the phone is moving and if it is moving with a certain sort of frequency or at a almost like a vibration of a certain level then it would determine that yes this is an accident right so uh, of course you could test it and, and see that okay at what vibration level it's an accident and you set the threshold but basically it would detect it so if you're in your car and the phone is just kept in the car and you get into an accident the vibration will will make the phone activate the alert and uh, you would have 10 seconds to stop the alert. And if, you, if you're incapable, like you're seriously injured, you don't stop it. Automatically, it sends your coordinates to the hospital, uh, to, the, to the ambulance system. And the ambulance uh, uh, comes to you and at the same time sends coordinates to your family members, like top five SOS contacts. That's it. Very simple thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Really, really yeah. uncomplicated. But, but it's working. Somebody's using it. It's, it's, it's there something to find, somewhere to find. Yeah, this is uh, <laughs> going to, you know, uh, be my forever, uh, uh, what do you say? I saw some other people uh, after two years or so, they made the same thing exactly again. But I still don't see it. It's not in my phone. It's not in your phone also, I think. No, no, no. no right? <laughs> so uh, it's not gone. See, the problem is some of us are good with coming up with ideas. Right. But it really takes a lot of effort to make that idea into a reality, to take it actually to the market. It needs a lot of support. It needs a lot of help and it needs at least a few dedicated people. Right. And I understood that I can only and, you know, especially because I had no salary, no income after I quit my job, I can only be dedicated to one thing and, 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 and not all of these things at the same time. I, I, of course, love creating things. And so any moment I get, I would be like creating a new idea. But then those ideas can go nowhere. And I, I would share these ideas so that somebody else could take it. But even that is not enough. You really, really have to push it. So the best thing is show people how to come up with ideas. Because if they do it themselves, they are motivated. They will never be motivated to take my idea forward. Right. They are motivated uh, unless I pay them a whole lot of money. Even then, I, I <laughs> feel that the motivation is not entirely right. So um, mm -hmm. that being said, DeFi sort of solves all that problem for me because now it's not my ideas. It's actually the ideas of uh, the learners, the people. And of course, they're very passionate about it because they're following their own heart, their, their own ideas, their own thinking. Uh, the, our team is also like that. We, we, we are into this habit of always doing design thinking and, and coming up with uh, new problems to solve and new ways to solve it. Yeah, we have actually, besides the Nuke now, we have four other programs that we came up with in this uh, period of Corona. And we prototyped them, started working on them, and, and uh, they are all moving towards reality. So now I'm actually in a better position to take things uh, uh, forward. But yeah, there are these uh, innovations or things from the past that are still my regret and haven't uh, they're still not reality unfortunately uh, well, maybe maybe you do you you manage to do uh, some of them uh, like like to keep going with some of them later it was when education was taking you away from exercising your curiosity and challenging things around you that you came around to create projectify and the concept of nook as a low-cost self-learning space People use the term social entrepreneur and social innovator to describe you, but you don't think these terms are correct. What are you then? I think what anybody is, is uh, subject to the interpretation of the observer. It's not really my 
I might sound a bit arrogant, but it's not my job to tell people who I am or what I am. That's my <laughs> discovery or, or my journey to to figure out. But um, you know, I I like working on problems. I like trying to to solve things, but I also like doing it with people. So I I don't like the idea of this sort of savior complex that I will solve problems for you. I usually try to solve problems for me or or you know uh, for people who we are closely connected with and that sometimes it makes sense for a lot more people. I'm just a problem solver in in that sense and uh, whatever fancy word works with it. Uh, social entrepreneur went for quite a few days, social change maker and and there's there's many words, you know, when I'm giving talks or anything like that they ask me how to describe and i say whatever you want <laughs> i think i think even sabria would agree like we had we used to have a lot of discussions in kanthari sabria and i we had this routine of going for a swim in the lake every evening and many times we used to discuss like uh, what is really important you know is it is it this uh, terminology that is important uh, does it mean anything or is it just the same as any certificate from school right just yet another label doesn't speak much it puts you in a bucket maybe gets you some rewards but you don't feel good just because you have a terminology associated with you you feel good because of what you're doing right now in the present that's what only uh, you know sort of matters at least i find it so um, so at any point of time you can ask me what i'm doing but who i am <laughs> very hard very hard question uh, yeah i leave it to to people to understand they can see my work and they can put what label they want uh, i'm not so yeah i i don't care no, so not much i'm <laughs> not so picky <laughs> thank you atheet for being my guest today and share all these inspirational innovative stories it really makes one wanted to know more about defi <laughs> thank you so dear listeners if you want to support or just know more about atheet and the project defi visit their homepage projectify.org Next week in Stick Your Neck Out, the podcast to restore your faith in humanity, I'm going to be talking to Tony Joy, the woman who made Durian possible. Durian aims to empower rural communities in Nigeria to be self-sufficient through transforming their local waste into a means of livelihood. You'll find the Kantari or Giraffe Hero stories every Tuesday on Spotify, iTunes, our homepage and every other place where you hear your podcast. Subscribe the podcast so you don't have to look out for us we'll be coming to you. If you like to tell us about your frontline hero visit us at giraffe-heroes.eu. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Duranyona and I hope you join us also on our social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. But more important, I hope you join us again next week. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation.